If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The starter edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Recuperating nicely in our, uh, you know, in our appropriate spaces. Well, by the time this show is published, we'll have gone done Dev Intersection as well. We should be done traveling for the whole year. You know, and I got to say, Dev Intersection was great this year. It was amazing. <laughs> and time shifting is awesome. That's right. I know it's going to be great. I know it's going to be great. Oh, Yeah. Well, uh, just today, I think, yes, it was today, mm-hmm. October 28th, that's when we're recording this, Mary Jo Foley came out with an article about an announcement that Microsoft made. Let's roll the music, and I'll tell you all about it. All right, dude, tell me all about it. You probably know about this because you're up on Microsoft Research, and they have this project called Project Sopris, or Sopris, yep. which is Azure Sphere. Azure Sphere, yeah. Galen Hunt leads that. I had him on run as a year ago. That is so cool. So uh, I'll, I'll give you my impression of what this is, and then you can sort of fill in the gaps if you like. But I think it's sure. really, really interesting. It's a solution that includes both a chip and uh, services in the cloud and an SDK to program mm-hmm. it to provide a really ultra-secure IoT um, experience. And, from and the hardware it, on up. Yeah, from the hardware on up. So remember when we talked to, who was it, Josh Holmes? Ages ago. Ages ago about IoT, and he said, you know, s- step number one is you want to burn your code into silicon. You don't want any kind of state that for your IoT uh, device to be in where it can be interrupted and taken over. Don't just get an off-the-shelf kind of thing that you can program. You want as much security end-to-end as you possibly can. And and, and I'm not sure exactly... Uh, I, I mean, I know this thing boots up and it phones home and registers itself, and it's got to do that, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're still programming it by burning... Uh, code into it, right? I mean, your code doesn't exist on the cloud, and then it downloads the code and runs it. Well, it has. It? To, you have to be able to in, install code onto it because there's always going to be updates, right? But it is encrypted all the way down. The big, the thing that will grab you about Azure Sphere, just from a surface level, is uh, this is a Microsoft built version of Linux. That's true. Like, what world are we living in? Yeah. When they, when Microsoft has their own version of Linux. I remember the old days when I interviewed Miguel de Acasa on .NET Rocks, <laughs> and they wouldn't put it on their feed because they were. That's right. Because he was persona non grata. <laughs> Sometimes, oh. depending on who you ask. Right? Oh, how times have changed! You know the the interview I did with him for the book. It's like I hit this moment when we, when we were talking it through, where I'm like, let me get this straight. Everybody at Microsoft is suspicious of you because you're a Linux guy working on .NET, and everybody in the Linux world is suspicious of you because <laughs> you're working with .NET. Yeah. Is, was this everybody hates Miguel? And he goes, Yeah, but I didn't let it bother me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like him. <laughs> well, anyway, I thought that was really cool, and uh, I'm I'm actually thinking of ordering up a uh, a developer kit and trying one of these things because it's a little bit different than your average Raspberry Pi. Yeah, you know, this is thinking at a different level. You're totally right. Yeah, and, and uh, it's neat to see it's going to go GA because they've been working on it for a couple of years. That's right. Yeah. But I don't even map this all the way back to the whole trustworthy computing initiative that Bill talked about years ago. Right. That where they tried to get Intel to do a bunch of this stuff at the low level. Like in the end, the only way to really get it from the kernel all the way up was to largely build it themselves. Yep. True. Awesome, dude. Very cool. All right. Who's talking to us today, Mr. Campbell? Grabbed a comment off the show 1493, the one we did with one Kendra Havens. Never heard of her. Years ago, when she was <laughs> so much younger. <laughs> talking about Docker tools for .NET Core. So much younger. Oh, my goodness. And uh, there was much great comments, actually, on this show, and uh, of which Kendra replied to, I think, all of them. But uh, this one's from Nathan Vivo, 
who said Hyper-V is the only reason I've not been able to run Docker for Windows until today. And this is like 2017. Yeah. Since Microsoft decided that Hyper-V would be the only hypervisor running, I cannot use it. I need VirtualBox to work, which is a former Sun product now, Oracle product. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I need to run other emulators. I get the Hyper-V uses a low-level type of hypervisor and there's some advantages and so on. But for the development machine, it's useless to me. I'd rather have a slower but coexisting with the rest of the environment or not running at all. And since VirtualBox can run a VM using their own type of hypervisor quite fast, I assume Microsoft would just want to shoot their own feet on this one. Hmm. And t- until Microsoft solves this coexistence problem, Hyper-V remains forever disabled on my machine, and I'll just default to use Linux containers, which ironically run just fine on Windows through Docker Toolbox without Hyper-V. That's a true story. And, that, and again, it's, well... What's interesting about this is the fact that you you can run VirtualBox on a Windows machine, but you have to disable Hyper-V to do it. Right. And you need Hyper-V to run Docker for Windows. Kind so of you key. sort of had this schism. Although I don't know if it's been resolved now. It's been a couple of years, and I did do some reading here to see if it, if it all works and play well with each other. And I, I can't find an answer to that. Perhaps Ms. <laughs> Havens knows. Perhaps. I was doing the same thing. I was just looking it up. It's been a while since I've been involved with the Docker tools. I yeah. Where we left this. Shoot. Yeah. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it it hasn't been resolved per se, because this is getting down into BIOS stuff too about the way that uh, yeah that Hyper V actually works, and and uh, and again, it actually has more to do with secure hypervisors that you don't want them exploitable. Yeah. Um. Let's see. <laughs> Definitely reading up on it now. And unfortunately, even when I was working on Docker, I was working a bit at a higher level. So just like the Visual Studio Docker integration tools and how they were right. .NET Core. So all of that was kind of at a, a lower level and, and with the Windows guys making containers work on Windows 10. So, um, hmm. hmm. I'll have to phone a friend on that one. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's fine. And Nathan, so <laughs> much thanks so much for your comment. I totally get where you're coming from, you know, the different challenges here. And a copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He is at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Uh, I guess Java. Sh- oh, wait, <laughs> Java. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Forgive the long pause there, son. That's an old That's joke. just old Java talking. <laughs> what it's an oldie but a goodie. I'm trying to remember how long have you been at the company when we interviewed you in 2017? It was maybe a year. Yeah, I've been there a year. I yeah, started okay. end of 2016. Yeah, so as much as I'm teasing you about being young, you were just new to the company. You're you've had a couple more years under your belt. How's working for the big the big blue? Oh my gosh, I'm actually so pumped about it. Um, to be honest, um, Richard, uh, you just gave the talk on history of .NET and yeah. the evening keynote at .NET Developer Days last mm-hmm. week, so I got to see you guys and. Oh man, that got me so pumped. I'm so inspired. Like I can't wait to see where everything is in the tech industry in like just five years or 10 years. Like just seeing where we've come from and how, you know, like mobile phones changed the daily lives of humans and therefore like all developer tools and how we interact and what impact we have. I'm just like so pumped to, I don't know, be in the midst of it all. I'm excited. It's a good time to be alive. No, no question. And you're working in such a cool place. I mean, I've, I've had the good fortune to know yeah, uh, Mr. Guthrie for many, many years. Hmm. And I said to him privately not long ago, and I won't go into the details about it, where I said, you know, the cloud is really creating a new utility for civilization. Like you're advancing civilization, you're leading it. Uh, you know, what's that like? He goes, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so unassuming, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, dude, shaping civilization. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. yeah. It's okay. I yeah. guess. I guess. It's a good chance to like stick your head up above the clouds, I guess, and get like yeah. that long term perspective every once in a while and 
Richard's talk definitely landed me there. That was so cool. It was a great talk, History. buddy. Thanks, man. It was, it's been an amazing ride, and it's fun to tell that tale and just say like we've we've come so far. And and I and I want to equate it to you know between these two shows you did, Kendra, because. It's been a lot in motion. Like that's another version of studio and better tooling. Like the cloud is just becoming a default way to build software. Oh yeah. And like the way it's just, I guess the thing more recently that's blowing my mind is the machine learning inside of visual studio with IntelliCode. Mm. I never thought we'd be here in like five, like even when I started, I didn't think that we would have an ML model offering like smarter completion that we could retrain every month on like thousands of open source repos that are constantly building on it and being updated by, you know, I think our contributors are like over 10 million people or something who, Oh wait, hold on. That, that number is too big. It's a lot. It's a lot of people <laughs> who yeah. contributed to.net. And uh, I'm trying to remember where that number number came from. We might've been counting VS code um, like extensions and contributors and everyone extending the ecosystem there, but it's just like, whoa. Yeah, a, I didn't do this in that version because I only had one hour and you're always sort of triaging what stays right. in and what stays out. But it was TypeScript when they put TypeScript out on GitHub and the community <sighs> just embraced it and yep. built all those libraries, all those extensions for TypeScript to be able to support uh, all the all the different uh, uh, JavaScript libraries. And that was a real shock to Microsoft that they were like, wow, it, it, it was very Sally oh, Fields. Yeah. It's like, they like they us. They like me. They really <laughs> like me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think every anyone knew yeah, how it was like catching fire, you know? Yeah. That was crazy. When you when you when you're on it the right is. side of things, it's amazing how they rally around each other. Yeah. I mean Scott Guthrie showed that slide of like sixteen million developers using Visual Studio tools, and I was mm. like, whoa. That's yeah. Visual Studio code that he's counting there because numbers that we've thrown around for Visual Studio has been like five or six million. Yeah. Um, well, I got to wow. I got to tell you a Visual Studio 2019 story. I have always yes. used because I have you know the MSDN subscription that comes with being an MVP and uh, you know I've always used and installed the latest Visual Studio Enterprise version, right? So I'm doing this uh, online workshop about building Blazor applications. And I say, use professional or enterprise. And some guy says, hey, can I use the community edition? And I'm like, well, I don't know. So I downloaded the free version of Visual Studio 2019 community edition and proceeded to build out my entire application without any problems whatsoever. And I didn't wow. miss any of the tooling. I didn't miss any features like everything that I wanted was right there. It's I guess a lot of the the enterprise features have to do with uh, testing and things like that that we weren't even hitting on in in this. Uh. So it turns out that you can actually do a lot more than you think of with the free version of Visual Studio 2019, and I think that's just amazing. So thank the team for that. I will. Um, yeah, Amanda Silver is really excited to talk about this. I actually wasn't sure of the distinction feature-wise between community and professional. And we got a question on Twitter. that That's how I learn things now. It's just through the conduit of Twitter and mm. customers asking and then me asking my bosses. Um, and uh, the feature difference is negligible between community and professional. The real difference is just licensing. Yeah. So it's cool that like students and everything are actually getting used to all of the and hobbyists and everything are getting used to all of the tools that they would be using professionally as soon as they, you know, land that job and get running and everything. And cool. yeah, let me just go over some of the features like the the data Ooh. SQL Server object explorer there. Mm -hmm. Right? Um being able to build yeah. a full Blazor application with API controllers and identity and SignalR, hubs, it's all there, you know? There's nothing in the editor that uh, that I missed. I, I was just, like, blown away. It's great. All your code fixes and refactorings yeah, are there. So you get, there. like, full solution analysis with the, the Roslyn compiler. You get IntelliCode. That's free. You can even get IntelliCode in Visual Studio Code. Yeah, very it's good. It's so exciting. It's <laughs> exciting. 
So um, I don't want to really talk about so much what's new, but what do you, when you talk about productivity in it, and I saw you in Poland too, mobbed after your session on productivity. <laughs> so like, and, I, and to the point where I think you, you had to drag them outside so the next session could start and we're still surrounded for quite some time. Like, what are you showing people that they want to talk at such great length about productivity? Ah, uh, they just wanted selfies. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no. Um, a lot of them. Oh gosh, I just love the questions I get. Um, you always kind of are able to figure out the power users at the end of my talks, and they're really into like one feature that they're still missing. Um, a lot of them are like interested in how many resharper features you've added and what the difference still is between the two, and like what our plans are like. Are we trying to add every single resharper feature that exists? And I'm always like, no, we're actually just trying to add what people ask for, what they expect to be in the built-in tools. Mm. Um, because the bar has definitely been raised by like a, like a ton of extensions, like Code Rush um, and like Encrunch and Resharper and uh, a bunch of these like productivity kind of tools. People just expect certain things to become built in yeah. after a while. Like it. It's, it doesn't feel good to feel like you can't even get started um, in the tools. And that's not the China, the IDE we're trying to build. And like, and as, and as well, when we add this kind of stuff, like all of the, we've added over a hundred code fixes and refactorings in the past year. When we add them to the built-in tools, they're also, again, like available in community. So everyone can use them. They don't have to pay for an extra extension or whatever, or just like use the 30 day free trial and try to work around it. Um, it's good. It's a good yeah, kind yeah. of progression good competitive pressure making better and better tools for people so i kind of love it <laughs> uh, i just think that the roslyn analyzers is a, a different level of thinking i i don't know how many people really get into them yeah um we're definitely trying to encourage it more um i'd actually what was i thinking the other day i think i was thinking of maybe like half a percent of our total users um, like actually hit our GitHub repo. I can't remember what numbers I was looking at. Um, but honestly, that's awesome that we have that many contributors. <laughs> Half a percent of users. Mm. Um, it's, which still represents thousands. Yes. Mm. Yes, precisely. So, and that makes a huge difference. Um, so our repository, the Roslyn compiler that powers, that's the engine that powers all of our code fixes and refactorings and all of our .NET tooling, those light bulbs and screwdrivers and the little green and red squiggles, all of that that appears, um, we've all implemented in the open source. So even though all of those appear inside of Visual Studio, you can actually read the, all of the code that plugs into the platform that shows those, all of the logic of what triggers it and how the compiler works. I was going to say, I bet the code that uses Roslyn is so much simpler than all the goo that was in there before to make that magic work. Definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's managed now. Is yeah. that, mm -hmm. What's the comparison here? How far are we going back? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I haven't I haven't used Rosalind in a in a production project, but I gotta imagine that it's it's just like so much easier. And it's certainly easier so, than C plus yeah. plus. Yeah, and we've definitely. I mean, from the get go, when we rewrote the compiler and made it managed, and we started that project like what seven years ago now, um, we built it with the idea that all of these APIs should be. Um, open source and extensible by the community. So we didn't just want us to be able to write compiler um, diagnostics, which mm -hmm. are those green and red squiggles. We wanted um, everyone to be able to, because we knew we were just a platform and to be used to be extended and everything. And that was the kind of the framework that we had in mind when we were writing those APIs. So I want to preach as much as I can that people can go and write their own diagnostics to work with their frameworks and libraries to give um, the people who then consume those libraries uh, help when they're coding. XUnit is a really good example. XUnit has some awesome analyzers. So XUnit is one of the major .NET test frameworks. And someone in their community wrote a bunch of analyzers to help people write XUnit tests better. And that's what we want everyone who is, you know, a .NET class library author to do. And we're actually in the process of trying to evangelize that even internally. So a lot of CoreFX doesn't have all the analyzers that it could have. 
to help people um, use best coding practices and things. And we're slowly integrating that. And that'll be fun to see light up. Yeah, I bet. So, I mean, there isn't one way to write code. It's just got to be more preferential. A given organization has certain standards of the way they want to write code, and so they can use analyzers to kind of shape that. Right. Yeah. And so much of it is that a lot of people know you're going to run into an error at runtime, and mm -hmm. it's giving you feedback before you even have to build. So you don't have to wait till your build breaks and then figure out the error and everything and try to figure right. out the code fix. All of the code fix is right there in the editor giving you a squiggle. Uh, yeah, you know that to me seems into? super powerful because even if it doesn't break anything, when you talk about coding standards, you don't really find out that you've violated coding standards till you're in the review ostensibly with working code already. And you're told, hey, this code that works, yeah, it's just not compliant with standards. you got to fix it. Yes, that's exactly what we're going for. So now it's a squiggle right at the beginning. Yep, there you go. Should I talk about what's new with analyzers and that whole yeah, interaction? Definitely. I'd love to. Okay, cool. Um, so analyzers, we've covered that those are the red and green squiggles that appear in your editor that kind of give you those light bulbs and screwdrivers to help you code at those little margin icons that appear. Um, so new with analyzers is, well, we've had editor config tooling for a few years. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what editor config is before I kind of introduce what's new in the editor. Um, okay. So editor config is a single file that lives at the root of your repository that helps document all of the code style that you want a certain team to file uh, to, to follow. So all of your diagnostics uh, can have certain rules set up. So whether or not using var or explicit type, when the type is apparent, that can be, you can bump that up to like the just a suggestion where it would appear as three dots. So it's not super noticeable. A lot of people miss suggestions, but it's also not in your face. Or you could bump that up to be a warning. So those would actually get green squiggles and say like, hey, that's a lot more of an opinionated code style that you can enforce. And your whole team will get that enforcement because that file uh, is read by the Visual Studio tooling. So it's managed with your whole source control. So any anyone who pulls from your repository will have it in Visual Studio. And we actually can change the diagnostics based on what we read in that file and show you different help. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I got to think when it comes to putting together a standard like this is how do I express it? How do I provide advice beyond the squiggle? Like there's a lot of little bits and pieces here to make this good. Oh, yeah. And oh, and I should mention that editor config is a standard that existed in the industry before we adopted it for .NET code style rules. So it's already been used by other languages um, for code style. So instead of creating our own new standard for like code style documentation and enforcement, we adopted a pre-existing one, which I'm particularly proud of. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. We did not create a new competing stack. Okay. <laughs> So new in editor config um, is the ability to actually right-click inside of your code editor and adjust the diagnostics that you're seeing yeah, from your editor. So normally you'd have to go into tools options to adjust that, or you'd have to go and edit the editor config file manually, which can be kind of tricky. It is like a new code style format and everything. you got to write equals, true, uh, colon suggestion or something like that to figure out each rule and you got a code and all of that. And that was all kind of um, annoying. You had to go into our reference. You had to look up what code style rule was or like find it in your error list or something like that. Now you can literally just open the code fix that you're getting and there's a new in the light bulb or screwdriver little glyph that appears. So you expand that. And then at the bottom, you have a line that says certain uh, figure. Uh, a certain your diagnostics and when you expand that flyout menu it gives you options so you can uh, change the severity there or you can even change uh, sometimes what the code style rule is so you can set it to true or false uh, depending on the code style rule so if it was for example um, prefer curly braces on new line true or false hmm. right yeah so after a method declaration or, or something like that it so you can do that right in your editor, right in the same context uh, that you're using. 
and you don't have to switch. And then when you do that, it will actually update your editor config. So you never even need to open your editor config, but it's still keeping track of the code style rules that you're setting. Can I give you one of my favorite features in Visual Studio 2019? Please do. All right. Click on the project file. It comes up in the editor. Copy and paste. NuGet references. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's all you need, huh? I'm serious. Like, that's just so <laughs> that's cool. Awesome. It's super cool. <laughs> because, you um, know what it's like. I mean, you 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 have a, a project. You mess it up. You want to start over another one, whatever. You know, for whatever reason, you need to fork it. And, oh, yeah, oh, I got to yeah. go get all these NuGet packages again and go search and click and click and click till your brain's out. And now it's just like, there it is. I mean, I could do that yeah. at the command line, you know, I could open notepad, but it's just very convenient uh, to why? have it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Before I get a bunch of comments asking about that, that is only for SDK style projects. So it's the new CS proj type. Um, yeah. <laughs> not the <laughs> not the old CS proj version. All right. The one that was super, super verbose. But yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, everything yeah. that I've been doing lately People is in core. It. So. There you go. All the right choices. That's what that's yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Living the dream. Good. The um the older versions of Studio had code analysis. Is that gone away in 2019? Um is, is it all just analyzers now? So we can still enable static code analysis. Mm-hmm. And actually that kind of brings me to my next topic. So I think the code analysis you're referring to was Maybe like solution-wide code analysis that you kick off manually once and then it gives you all of the feedback at one time instead of yeah. as you're editing that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we still have the ability to turn on or turn off full solution analysis, but that will run live. So it might eat up your battery as you're coding and stuff. It's just like different. It's more processes happen in the background. You can still kick it off at one time. Um, but something new we do have is the ability to turn off live analysis per NuGet package, which is pretty cool. So we added a new project properties page. Um, so all you need to do is right click, go to properties, and that when that pane opens up, you go down to code analysis. And that will actually list um, like recommended NuGet packages and the NuGet packages of specifically analyzers that you have in your project. So all of these third-party analyzers that people can create, remember that people can go and write Roslyn analyzers, sort of like the XUnit one. Well, just like the XUnit one, rather, um, and be installed in their product. Um, The FX Cop code analysis analyzers are a good example. That's one that we're recommending more and more people use um, because it gives really verbose feedback on your code. A bit too verbose to include in the built-in tools, but it's pretty good. Um, So that'll be listed there. And you can actually turn on um, or turn off live code analysis, but turn on, but still have it... uh, run during a build so you can kind of configure it to all run at once or not and it, i mean fx cop's been around a long time you just guys you just converted it into a set of analyzers right rather than a separate yes. add-in you used to put in the studio yes exactly and, and it, is it more extensible now like you just can do so much more with it rather than it's just a unified thing yeah, um, I think we're always contributing to it. And what's cool about it is the current implementation. So we re-implemented a lot of those rules in Roslyn for live analysis, and it's all open source. So if you think something more should be included, you can sort of like figure out and follow up on discussions and talk with the team and see if we considered it or ruled it out. Um, because you can get into the weeds with these discussions because some of it is preference and code style and stuff. So we try to create options to kind of please everyone. But um, yeah, we are recommending it more and more. And uh, the difference here is that you can have it on live or only during a build. Um, so it, it's a new way to kind of toggle it on or off. Oh, and why would you only want it during the build versus just always showing you squiggles? Ah, so live analysis, I kind of mentioned it can be really verbose. Yeah. Some people, we actually got a lot of feedback that not everyone wanted this live analysis happening all the time in the background uh, because it really fills up your air list if you're not like ready to sit down and actually go through it and follow like the most ideal practices. Because again, the FX cop analyzers are a good example because not following them might not necessarily break your code, 
but yeah. they do give good guidance. So like, it's not like we, we didn't ship them with the built-in tools. You don't need them, need them on all the time for your code to just work, right? So being able to then be like, okay, now I'm going to go fix, like now I'm going to turn on this analyzer package or, or go ahead and address these issues as they come up and sort of being able to segment that work uh, was something a lot of people preferred. So we kind of made this option available. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, sure. Oh, good. I'm glad it makes sense. <laughs> and I'm going to interrupt for just one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. People are going nuts for my online Blazor workshop. The next one will be Monday, December 16th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't make it and just want to download the materials and the video from the November workshop, you can do that too. In one day, we'll write a complete server-side Blazor PWA app with EF Core, API controllers, components, SignalR, ASP.NET Core identity, JavaScript interop, and user management all using Visual Studio 2019 Community Edition and .NET Core 3. To sign up or download the materials, just go to blazor.appvnext.com. That's blazor, B-L-A-Z-O-R, dot appvnext, A-P-P-V-N-E-X-T, dot com. Hey, Carl and Richard here. We'd like to tell you all about the upcoming conferences NDC is hosting all around the world. NDC London will be January 27th through the 31st. Go to ndc-london.com to register. We're going to be recording some episodes there. Come see us in the fishbowl. NDC Security Oslo is January 22nd through the 24th. Early bird discount for NDC Security Oslo is December 2nd. Go to ndc-security.com to register. And check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. And we're back. This is Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. We're talking Yo. to Kendra Havens. And I don't think we introduced her properly. No, we didn't. I, I just realized this during the break is that I never was able to introduce her properly. So let me do that, everybody. Kendra Havens is a program manager at Microsoft on the .NET and Visual Studio team. Her focus is .NET tooling and the testing experience in Visual Studio. You might recognize her from videos on .NET Core, VS Code, and Docker. In addition to an unruly enthusiasm for technology, Kendra loves reading and camping. So now that you know who we're talking to, <laughs> we can get back to the conversation <laughs> about productivity in Visual Studio 2019. I didn't know that Visual Studio 2017 was all that unproductive. <laughs> Yeah, um, a lot. Hey, okay. <laughs> so a lot of the code fixes we added did start in um, like fifteen point eight in Visual Studio twenty seventeen. We added actually it was it was a really crazy demo time. We added like twenty eight in one release, and I was like, why why did these all get stopped in fifteen point eight? But it was good. It was a lot of content to suddenly fit into a demo in like a month. But right. it was good. Right. Yeah, and it's only gone on yeah. from there. Oh, definitely. It's actually uh, pointing out how fast we're adding things is worth doing. A lot of them are community contributions, mm -hmm. uh, which I should call out. It's not just our team. It's definitely the people who are really invested in making uh, .NET great, mm -hmm. which we really love in the community. Um, but yeah, it's and it's a lot of little things. I think... Uh, Oh gosh, one of the things that just floored me was regex completion. Yeah. Okay. And it was Which I don't know how you know if it's correct. It just looks like swearing. That's right. It still looks exactly. like regex when you're done. <laughs> How's this look any different? That's beautiful. Yeah. Um it, it is pretty easy, but that was one of our communities like or community members uh who, who did work for Microsoft at one point, but he's he's at another company, hopefully for a brief stint, and he'll come back. But um, he was just trapped in an airport, so he <laughs> <laughs> implemented Reddit completion. And it was sort of a basic, right now, all you need to do is, uh, if you're in any kind of regex string that's recognized by like the regex constructor or by the comment that is like language equals regex right above the line, and you start typing inside of that string and you hit control space to open Intel or the IntelliSense completion list, it will uh, give you a list of all of these regex completions and they're just basic like dictionary definitions. 
so that you don't have to actually like go to a reference for all of this stuff or like look it up on you know Stack Overflow or whatever. You I always have another window open, right? Like yeah. it's just reality, right? I know any right any uh, open source app that starts with the story. So I was trapped in an airport. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of reminds me of uh, Oren Eni, Iandi Rahin's uh, experience. Uh, and Richard was there, and I was there in Sweden. I think we were in Malmo at the the Bishop's Arms after oh my goodness. after yeah. Oradev, and we we noticed that Julie Lerman and Oranini had skulked off to a corner, and we wondered what they were doing. But it was very visual; like there was hand waving, and there was screaming and shouting. And we found <laughs> no. out that he was writing the an entity framework provider for RavenDB, right? Wow! Yeah, and wasn't he also doing like That's an analyzer incredible. at the same time, or it wasn't an analyzer so much as like it was like a profiler, it literally showed That's you the it. statements that it was writing Ooh. in real time. And I swear they wrote it that night. Like it was it that night running. Yeah, yeah. It's what you <laughs> so do when you're screaming about. Uh, I just, you know, he he's just very enthusiastic. Oh, Orin is Orin is loud. <laughs> he's just loud. <laughs> I love it. He gets he's into just, it. Yeah, he's yeah, he's loud. There's no other way to to describe it. So. But I thought it was cool, you know. Here we are, all having beers and scotches and whatever, and enjoying ourselves. And you know, these two are off in the corner, like making history. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Oh my gosh, very cool. Yeah. Isn't that great? And it's just like, yeah, I like that story because it it's just a good example of one of those nice things to have. It's just a nice way to improve something you use every day, and it's ah, it it so much working on the polish and getting i guess you guys know me you know i get really excited about like small things mm. it's just the best yeah sometimes well, just keeping the parentheses straight in regex is worth the way the price of admission <laughs> yeah, know, right. yes we have like brace matching and parentheses matching and square bracket and all that it's great yeah. and it shows but, the highlight and if you delete yeah. one it actually gives an error Holy, holy cow. It would be nice to have a regex to English converter. That'd be kind of yeah. cool. It's like, what yeah, is this doing means... actually? Okay. We'll conspire to trap Cyrus in an airport again. And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, better yet, Chicago in, we'll in December, in you'll be trapped. steal his alarm clock. <laughs> How about an English to regex converter? Now that there would be go. fun. <laughs> <That's magic. laughs> You're right. That's even better. That's even better. Oh, man. Now that tool falls under IntelliSense. Is te- IntelliSense just an, a blanket for Roslyn analyzers? You know, IntelliSense is used in all kinds of ways. I almost mm-hmm. feel like it's an organic, beautiful term that I shouldn't try to put labels on. Mm. But um, in, okay. in the code, the, the in Zen of IntelliSense is that where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's more of a feeling. Um, anyway. <laughs> It cannot no, be defined um, with words. <laughs> no, but it is used it so transcends thought um, processes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But looking at like our code and, and at least on the internal engineering team, IntelliSense is very ex- specifically completion mm-hmm. and syntax highlighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Like hovering over it, the little pop-up that appears, we call that quick info. The light bulbs and squiggles and everything are refactorings and analyzers. Right. And that's how we really clearly divide like our teams and who's working on what. So IntelliSense is actually like a really uh-huh. small specific thing as we work on it, but it has been used so many places. I don't I think it's just like a great word to kind of umbrella smart things happening in your editor for you. So like I'm fine with that. It's, it's okay. We used to call <laughs> Clippy. trying to yeah. We used to call okay. Clippy IntelliSense. No, we never wasn't, did that. I'm kidding. Wasn't that Intelli? <laughs> but just sort of... Clippy Virtual it, Studio comes up at least every month. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, yeah. And like, the joke is just, it's great. <laughs> oh, where were we anyway? IntelliSense yeah. was a marketing term that sort of narrowed into a uh, set of features. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like that completion, yeah. highlighting, syntax help. Great, com- you know, mm-hmm. while you're typing, how can I help you without annoying you? Which right. is a really tricky balance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
oh, it's amazing what uh, has been added recently. It's amazing how many milliseconds of difference we really have to think about. So like recently we added completion for unimported types, which okay. is when you do dot completion, uh, you used to only see types that were already uh, like type suggestions that were only from the using statements you had at the top of the file. Yeah. And now um, in Visual Studio 2019, you can see when you type dot, you can see any kind of type completions in your in your list for any of your dependencies on your project. So you can get a massive list. And if you accept one of the completions that is for a using statement you don't have, it'll just add that using statement at the top of your file. So generating that much larger list could cause millisecond difference. And we had to sure. think about 200 milliseconds and if it was worth it. And uh, we pulled a lot of people and it's totally worth it. Mm. <laughs> um, you can't, however, turn it off. So we definitely added that option. Um, I pulled the MVP audience, actually. So I had a talk with, for about 200 people. And uh, about 30% of them, I guesstimated, uh, never wanted this because they they actually think through their using statements at the top of the file and really need to only see a filtered list in their completion. That's how that's just how their their brains work and how they um sort of focus on a subset of a massive code base. And yeah. the others want dot nuget, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, actually. <laughs> dot the world. Um, which is definitely something we I'm trying to say if we're experimenting with it. Yes, we we have thought about uh, we're working on it. Really? Do you're you're a, doing dot nuget? Like well, hit dot and then anything I'm, I'm that's out on nuget that is... I didn't say we're wow. um, now that's suggesting it. But, but we do go over, so the top, uh, what is it? The top thousand nuget packages, the most common ones, if you type a type from them, you should be able to get a suggestion to install this new package. So if I type like mm. JSON convert, which is a type in newtonsoft.json, and I yeah. don't even have the dependency in my project, much less the using statement, I will be able to get a prompt to install that. That's using pretty cool. From that's pretty cool. Wow. Crazy yeah. cool. And that's not, again, <laughs> this is a refactoring, not IntelliSense, if we're going by that strict definition. <laughs> right. But, <Right>. we, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> It's all making code smarter. It's all good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just having those all those things at your fingertips so you're not having to jump out of your flow. Yeah, you, so long yeah, as it doesn't take too long. you don't even need to go. Yeah. I don't think we have a great way. Right now, I think we'll go and install like the latest stable of that NuGet package. So you don't have to open your NuGet package manager, but if you had the dependency on like a different project, but it was a different version or something like that. We're not great at uh, figuring all of that out for you. So you might want to like update your entire solution to use the same version of something. Um, eh, it's not perfect, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're sure. learning as we go. Every little bit helps. Yeah. Yeah. Other productivity features. Oh my gosh. So many. So many choices. I can barely fit them all into uh, a 60-minute talk. Uh, I do have a, sol a solution on GitHub where people can try out all of the productivity features and code fixes and refactorings that we've added in the past, man, like five or six releases going back to 15.8. Um, and it's like a little project and every single method is like a new code fix or refactoring and it has all the demo code there. Um, people can go and grab that solution at aka.ms slash netfeatures2019. Maybe we can include that link in the description. Sure. But uh, if people want to run through, because we have added over 100, um, like, cool stuff, like converting for each to link. If you're iterating through an I enumerable and have an if statement in there, it can, like, convert the if statement to a where clause. It's pretty sweet. So you you just been every time the new ones come up you you add them into this project so people can experiment with them. Yeah, it's a great idea. If I'm on top of it, <laughs> I like it. So far, it's a uh, a bunch of people around the company 
when they have booth duty or they're all like, oh crap, we're meeting with customers. What do we demo? I just can point them at that repo because it's not, it doesn't have any special setup. A lot of stuff we try to demo has like Azure Connective Services and you mm. need secrets and an account and Azure Kubernetes needs to be running or something. And mine is just like, no, nope, it's just the code in your editor and it'll just kind of work. Yeah. Install latest Visual Studio, update it, and open the project, and you'll get a bunch of refactorings. And it's really easy to go through. All of the comments have um, how you trigger it described right before. So, uh, you know where to put your cursor, because some things can only be triggered. Like, if your cursor is in that for each keyword, that's where you get the refactoring right. and not other places. Interesting. Yeah. And and you have all these good, all the shortcut keys. I mean, that's always the thing is people learning the different keys combinations that are available to them. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about go to base. It's alt home. So you can go to the base type. That's something implementing. Oh, nice. That was such a huge feature request and we got it. And it's in the right click menu, which is kind of hard to get things into these <laughs> Just things because the right click menu is so overloaded. Yeah. It's such a huge menu. We're trying to keep it like down to only what people need and what they'll use a ton. Right. And we think that's going to be a star child. So we'll try to. <laughs> and you, you haven't run out of keyboard keys yet, which is great. You know, no, because there could actually, come a time where you're going to be, you're going to have word perfect syndrome, shift control, right, alt, P, you know. <laughs> I know. Is, is it crazy that I don't believe we're even close no, I don't think so. So running out of keyboard shortcuts because like Visual is so cool. I'm just geeking out here. Um, it's so cool in that it depends on the tool window that you have in focus. It can bind different keyboard shortcuts to different things. Yeah. Which is really That's nice. That's really great. So like even the F key, the F keys will change if you're like inside of the final references window or like the team explorer which is really spooky. I'm actually trying to get people to better document it because uh, you can do a lot of things really fast in the Team Explorer if you know all the keyboard shortcuts that we haven't fully documented. And I'm like, how do we think people would find these? And they're like, oh, we added it for just our team. And I'm like, guys, no, no. <laughs> we have to document these. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, don't keep them to yourself. We, we all want them. Yeah, you can get stash and pop and commit and merge and then uh, it's really cool. Starting a yeah. branch. And uh, one kind of tip that I discovered just probably a few months ago that kind of changed my life is how to discover all the keyboard mappings in Visual Studio. Uh, so we have a place in tools options or you can go to control Q and just type in keyboard. And it'll pop up environment keyboard inside of your tools options. Nice. And there's a little pane and you can figure out and it lists all of the commands in Visual Studio that you can possibly bind to keyboard shortcuts. Um, the search is pretty dumb. Don't include spaces or anything. And there's no fuzzy stream. Hmm. So you got to kind of know what the command is. Um, yeah, it's got to be tricky. Magically. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is. There are ways to print out what commands you're triggering and everything. But um so it's it's but it's a bit easier to you can put your cursor in one of the boxes in the lower part of the pane. And when you type a keyboard shortcut, it'll list what command it's triggering. Or if it's not taken by a command, it'll be blank. And then you'll know that that keyboard shortcut actually isn't bound to anything. So it's open to use. Right. So you, so and you, so you can make your own map. bindings if you want. I'm just always nervous when people do custom bindings like that. I know. Yeah. Because you're not sure, like, and, and installing an extension could break it. And it's hard to, like, save it as a profile and everything. Um, yeah. But it is a good way to figure out what's already bound. Sure. Yeah. At least know what's cool. already there. So what's there. just a part mm -hmm. of the default. Yeah. Hey, what is your base it. tool set after you install Studio? What add-ins do you put in immediately before you can start working? I actually have to think if I add anything. I really loved a couple of things. So Mads Christensen has an awesome editor config tooling extension. I've been trying to get it into the built-in product for months. Mm -hmm. um, maybe 
a year. I don't, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but it'll actually add completion for editor config. So he went through a rule set and updates it. And uh, so if you just type, I kind of mentioned earlier that the syntax is kind of tricky, but if you like type a colon, it can auto complete to like the severity levels that you have the options for or um, what the options are for a certain code style rule to false or like sometimes code style rules have certain um, names that you can bring up. So, or settings like a, it's one is called prefer uh, namespaces. And the same is prefer, or sorry, prefer usings inside or outside a namespace. And the setting is prefer usings inside or prefer usings outside. So that will like auto complete with his extension. So you don't need to look up the rule and figure out how to, uh, what all of the settings are possible in it for it, which is sweet. Awesome. I really do like editor guidelines. That's a really old one. I'm trying to again get it built into the editor, but uh, they're really concerned about like making everything in the editor work for all languages and all of that. So it's a lot of work. But mm. editor guidelines put a small dotted line at like whatever column you set it to. So like the 80th column or something like that. If you're working in a repo that has really strong wrapping guidelines, um, which is pretty cool. We're yeah, very, yeah. we're, I really want that in the built-in tools. Um, we don't actually have enough customer votes to like have it a top priority or anything like I want it to be. It's just like one of my vendettas. Um, so please go and vote on that on our Roslyn <laughs> or on developer community where we have editor guidelines. Nice. Add editor guidelines to built-in tools. So you need that feedback, right? Like you guys are queuing everything off yes. what customers actually say. Yes. So, yeah. And they will definitely ignore me if they just realize it's Kendra's personal vendetta. Um, <laughs> the editor team won't add anything. Um, so we, I, they will always ask me for customer evidence. So like bringing up scenarios that are really um, like understandable and vital and, and that we think a lot of people are running into. Um, sometimes we can justify doing certain things to, through telemetry, but we have a pretty limited uh, understanding of a lot of our telemetry and a lot of it's interpreted too. Um, yeah. and, and even like talking with internal people who are getting a lot of telemetry from it's like unclear. It's, it's not as strong a case. And we also have a bit of bias. We're like, Oh, well maybe a Microsoft person does that, but we're a bunch of weirdos. I'm sure no one outside of <laughs> yeah, nobody Redmond else does would that. want this <laughs> this way. Yeah. And it's, so again, that's like a little bit of bias. So it's so much more powerful in concrete hearing someone from like a completely different developer scenario um, and maybe multiple people from completely different developer scenarios all saying like the same thing. Um, that gives us way more of a chance to know that this is the right choice. Mm. What's because the right way to send you that in. stuff? Is it okay to just put it up as issues in GitHub or do you prefer a user voice? Like what, what, what do you guys look at the most yeah. these days? Yeah. Um, so GitHub is awesome for my team, um, but GitHub's a bit tricky because you, we, we do need to triage it to the correct repo where that work would actually take place so that team can track oh, it. So right. you might be pinged around a bit. Um, a good way to do that, a good entry point is actually developer community. It says developercommunity.visualstudio.com, I believe. Let me look that up. Yeah, developercommunity.visualstudio.com. Um, and if you file it on there, provide feedback, there's also a tool in Visual Studio to provide feedback that will also post it to developer community so you can see the activity and you can upload items there and stuff. Um, and we will always triage it to the correct GitHub repository from there. So that's like a good entry point if you don't really know where feedback belongs. If you do it directly on GitHub, um, we still have like, there's a there's a bunch of different repositories on GitHub. Like as I said, Roslyn Tooling actually does plug into the VS platform. And if we figure out this is actually a platform fix, we're just going to ping you over to DevCom because they track things internally because that part is closed source. Um, so it's like, uh, where do I belong? And we can help you do that. But yeah, and upvoting is so important. Like even if you don't have the... Um, bandwidth to like file a new issue or anything if you just like look it up and see if it exists and take a minute uh to upload it and and figure out oh yeah this is impacting me and uploading a few things along the way like even just 
like 14 upvotes is actually a lot. That, right. that represents a ton of customers. So you actually do have a really strong impact when you upvote certain things. I think actually I could go ahead and look up our top um, upvote right now. I'll just go over to our repo. This is always fun. I'm pretty sure it's source link debugging. I can sort by most reactions, the most thumbs up. So it's currently expression trees support for tuples, and that has 104 upvotes. So out of the millions of users that we talk to, like 104 is a lot of upvotes. That's right. a lot of impact that you can have. Yeah. So, you know, just be real that your vote matters. Like even in something as big as that, one vote is still 1%. Yeah. Yeah. And if we post something like, oh, yeah, the one I was thinking was expected behavior for go to definition um, meta references. And that is source link debugging. That only has 42 upvotes. Like that's. And that's it's something we're immediately yeah, going to work on, you know? Yeah. Some other things were. Um, we're we're blocked on for various dependencies and like the tools just aren't there yet. But so we will go down the list and everything and um, try to figure out what we can uh, add. Very good. It's pretty fun. So you're, you're not being lost in the noise at all. No, no, not at all. I mean, we definitely have leaderboards and look at the top issues, Um, vertical tabs, which we just added to visual studio. A lot of people were super excited about vertical tabs that had <laughs> 700 ups on Devcom, and we were like, "Yeah, we need to immediately do this. This is like the most feedback we have we get." Mm. <laughs> so, so we added and, it, and you get to watch them progress too, right? It's under investigation. It's you know added for the next builds, like all that sort of thing. Yes, and I'll definitely give up votes or updates as we progress. Really cool. big items will get on our roadmap too. And we're required to update that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you, Kendra? What's in your inbox? Oh man. In life or, or like what I need to do. The yeah. What you're working on. Uh, let's see. So we vaguely announced a uh, visual studio online build. And it is a new product. We're not talking about, we used to have a, something called Visual Studio Online that was rebranded to VSTS. That was then rebranded to Azure DevOps. This is different. This oh. is like the Visual Studio shell being connected to this, a server that all the actual computation is around. Right so it doesn't eat up battery life. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like a, having a VM that's powering Visual Studio, but um, like everything with remote desktops could be really slow um, because we're streaming pixel by pixel. Right. Visual Studio Online, it's more like just doing the live share connection and just like stringing text in the binaries that you need right to your IDE. So it's really, really fast. Um, we're going to be talking about that a lot more at Ignite, which is in one week. Oh, gosh. One week to prepare. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and this show will publish after it anyway. So I'm sure it was a great conversation. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, that'll be, I mean, that was so much fun. Wow. That was amazing. Yes. Um, we were totally blown away. <laughs> great. So is yeah. this something that exists now that we can play with or is it going to be forthcoming? It's not on in preview. Okay. Uh, it'll be forthcoming. I'm trying to remember what date they told me. Um, I think it won't go into preview for, I think it's in private preview now. Okay. And when I say now, I mean posting night. Which yeah. is when people are listening to this. Okay, cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you. So if they, I think if they sign up now, I wish I had like live links to send you, but I'm pretty sure no, they probably fine. don't exist yet. So <laughs> if we between now and then, if we find it, we'll add it to the list. I'm sure there will be blog posts. I am planning on doing a show with uh, Nick Molnar on it in the next few weeks. Well, there you go. Perfect. I need to badger him about the demo. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kendra, thanks for geeking out with us, and it was so much fun hanging out with you in Poland. And uh, you know, it, your your talk was great, and this so was this conversation. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me, you guys. I always love chatting. 
listening to your talks. So inspiring. Awesome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm